0: Welcome back to another episode of the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Angie Brickwitz. Before we get into things today, I want to make sure that I take the time to thank all of you who take the time out of your busy schedules to join me every single week in my journey exploring entrepreneurship around the world. Uh, and I hope that this show serves as a reminder to people that Really, the vast majority of the world really does consist of very good people. And if there's one thing that you can't deny if you're a regular listener, it's that the next great startup can be built by anyone, anywhere, regardless of your ethnicity, religion, sexual preference, or whatever. And if there's one thing that I want you to take away from the show, it's really just to believe in yourself and to believe in the people around you to accomplish great things. Uh, But that's, that's enough of me on my soapbox today. Let's dive into the episode because we've got ourselves a good one. My guest today is Scott Phillips, the CEO and founder at Civic Ninjas, which is an organization who's dedicated to solving community and municipal problems by using technology to increase civic engagement and better connect citizens with their government. Scott has really stepped up to be a leader in the Tulsa, Oklahoma startup ecosystem over the past few years, and has helped to co-found the local Fab Lab, Startup Weekend Chapter, as well as Ignite Tulsa. On this episode, we dive into the different pieces that Tulsa has put together to propel itself as a major player in the third wave of internet entrepreneurship as well as Civic Ninjas' unique approach to open data and ecosystem building. But now that is enough for me, I'm excited to pass off the conversation to Scott Phillips, the CEO and founder at Civic Ninjas.
1: Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide, from Sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond, here on the Global Startup Movement. Now,
0: here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. So Scott, it's great to have you on the show. I would love to start this off with just a little bit about how Civic Ninjas started uh, and maybe give us some insight on, on how that has led you to take a leading role in the Tulsa startup community.
1: Certainly great question. Thank you for asking it. You know, Civic Ninjas, what, what we do, we've been doing for longer than the brand Civic Ninjas has existed. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur and uh, probably about 10 years ago, I, I realized that there were areas of the country, especially where I lived, that really wasn't embracing entrepreneurship to the extent it needed to. And I felt that I had some background and some knowledge that could add value so I started pushing an agenda that was kind of a grassroots organic uh, community building around entrepreneurship and innovation. And and we were incredibly fortunate to be very uh, effective in, in our, our work and our results. And uh, in 2013, um, I actually was recognized by the White House as a champion of change in civic hacking. And, and through getting a relationship with, the Office of Science and Technology Policy at the White House, I realized kind of our approach and how we did things really had potential impact way beyond the local area we were focused in. We're really focused on the convergence of civic technology, which some people refer to as civic hacking, the maker movement, and entrepreneurship. And we're focused on those three movements because they are democratizing how we live, work and play. And it it really ultimately is about empowerment and and those movements are well positioned to help empower people uh, to push beyond kind of the status quo today. And so civic technology or civic hacking is referring to kind of opportunities to apply everything we've learned about the innovation technology on the web into how government functions and how government, uh, you know, operates, and and what we find is is that a lot of technologists they might not feel empowered to think entrepreneurial, but they feel empowered to help their community. So we see it very much as a gateway drug to empowering them to think bigger from an entrepreneurial
0: perspective. Right. So it's 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 interesting that you brought up the, the makerspace and. You know, it, it actually doesn't really get brought up that much on, on this show about how a robust makerspace can contribute to an ecosystem's developments. And I mean, you know, w- w- with the narrative of this third wave of entrepreneurship focusing more so on Internet of Things, drones, more hardware-focused companies, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense that these spaces in particular are, are going to become more and more important over time. It's definitely, I think, a little bit more complicated to put something like that together than just a normal co-working space or or space for events that ecosystem builders tend to focus on. Uh, And so I'd be curious to hear maybe, you know, how how you all went about putting together the pieces for the Fab Lab in Tulsa. Uh,
1: You've you've clearly done your research, so thank you for that. Uh, You know, I, I think, and let me preface this with, you know, I'm obviously a huge proponent of entrepreneurship, but to a certain degree, I feel there's parts of the community where we've even been too successful at promoting entrepreneurship as a career trajectory. And as a result, we see a lot of people kind of pushing into this space, um, maybe because they see it as a path to fame and fortune. And if you look historically, the greatest entrepreneurs through time um, never set out to get rich or never set out to get famous they set out to scratch an itch or solve a problem. And so when you look at the maker movement and civic technology, a lot of the participants in those movements, they aren't thinking entrepreneurial or they aren't necessarily thinking about getting rich or or, uh, becoming famous. They're focused on scratching an itch or solve a problem. So we see those movements as being even more kind of authentic to entrepreneur movement than some entrepreneur issues. Um, With respect to Fab Lab, You know when you look at community building the taking people interest in the maker movement and building a facility that that kind of gives them a path forward um, certainly gives them access to resources Um, you know I think that's one of the big hurdles when we think about the maker movement in entrepreneurship is now people need access to resources that are beyond a notebook computer or or other devices um, and they're they're needing serious equipment so I was fortunate we we're based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa has some, you know, really strong industrial size based on the kind of energy sector oil field roots, and so we were able to bring some, some partners together that was interested in supporting kind of a more maybe blue-collary type innovation and entrepreneurship sect, and that's really where FabLab emerged from.
0: Right, and I mean, I, I think that's definitely a interesting approach that a lot of ecosystems in the Midwest should uh, consider because I think a lot of the manufacturing base and, and industrial or legacy industrial communities are in the Midwest and in the transition to this third wave of entrepreneurship, they might actually be at an advantage relative to uh, the, the typical you know, entrepreneurial ecosystems on the coast. Now, w- one thing that I thought was interesting that I saw uh, was that Tulsa was actually one of the first cities in the country to pass an open data policy. I'd be curious here what, what opportunities has that specifically created in, in the local startup community? Because it reminds me of, of Chattanooga's installation of gigabit internet, which you know had really positive effects on uh, on the growth in their local ecosystem, with incubators being built around that, with a lot of three D printing companies coming because of the the increased bandwidth. Um, and, and so, what, how have you seen that play out in Tulsa? Well, uh,
1: another great question. Thank you. You know, the, the open data policy, uh, there's there's really two paths behind that. Um, we're digging a little bit into the, the civic tech aspect of how can we put our best foot forward in allowing innovators to explore what they can do with either municipal information, both as a value add from an entrepreneurial perspective, but also from a value add from a community perspective, so we were fortunate that we uh, were working closely with some of the city councilors in Tulsa at the time with some of the, our other civic tech initiatives. And we realized there was an opportunity to kind of put Tulsa on a map from that perspective. And when you look at the big things that have come out of that, I think that the first thing I would point to is, um, in many ways, I see civic tech as a three-step process. First step is transparency, which is the open data component which kind of gives people a view into government and what's happening in government and allows them to do things accordingly. Second step is giving people a voice. And then the third step is giving people ownership. And that's really about helping people realize that we own our cities, we own our states, we own our countries, and and they are in a position where they can actually do something with this information. And from an entrepreneurial perspective, That's really about empowerment because once we had technologists kind of glued into the fact that government was willing to listen to them, work with them, appreciate their perspective and knowledge, that really empowered a lot of our technologists to think bigger and brighter about what they're up to and and has led to um, some kind of early stage startup activity accordingly
0: right and so i mean you you've had a lot of experience working with local government and 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 the federal government now you've kind of seen both sides of of being entrepreneur and and the government side as well and so uh you know with with this third wave of companies steve case in his book talks about how we're going to need more collaboration between entrepreneurs and and government yeah um so i'd be curious to hear you know because you have a good understanding of, of both perspectives how should entrepreneurs approach their local government
1: you know i i tell people fairly frequently that if you look at the evolution and and you're you know pointing to steve case's book the internet as third wave which defined the internet in waves as being first wave was kind of the the kind of fiber optic backbone of the internet the the mci worldcom will tell those kind of verizon at&t plays Um, And a lot of, you know, value was created. A lot of wealth was created during that period. Second wave was kind of the Yahoo, eBay, Facebook, Google. It's like now that we have an Internet, what becomes of the Internet or what do we create accordingly? And the third wave that Steve refers to, and I I also use the term, uh, really refers to kind of the disruption of existing industries, healthcare, energy, transportation. It's like all the technology we've gleaned from, you know, Learning what we can do on the internet. Let's apply that to existing industries. And the reality is, is that existing industries aren't just software based or aren't necessarily just online based. So all of those industries have a physical component to it. As a result, you know people have to connect to the physical component. But the other aspect of it is, it's a little bit more subtle. Is those industries come with 75 to 100 years of kind of entrenched knowledge. So if an entrepreneur is setting out to, you know, create the next social network, let's say Mark Zuckerberg, there wasn't 75 to 100 years of knowledge around social networks that people had to really be tuned into or have experience with. But now when you talk about disrupting existing industries, you really need to have some pretty strong perspective of what's happening there. So that's where these partnerships become more substantial. And, and the reality is, is there's, there's kind of a wave of politicians, people in government that are really intrigued. They're, they, maybe they're early in their careers and they get into government and realize how inefficient it is. And so they, they're really looking to partner with folks. Um, what I actually tell people when we kind of dig into the subtleties of Civic Ninjas, a lot of what we end up doing is being a translator because the domain knowledge people bring that are inside government they don't have a lick of technology knowledge. And we've just established that technologists don't necessarily understand what's happening inside government. So oftentimes we we get into situations where we're the translators. and And one of the things we pioneered to achieve this was events we call reverse pitch nights, where we pick a theme and we will bring kind of knowledge experts in that area into rooms where they will simply talk about their pain points or what they lose sleep over at night. And that allows technologists to understand, you know, some pretty in-depth perspective on what different industries are experiencing and, and, and gives them ways to think about the technology knowledge they have and how to apply it into that industry. Um, you know, it, we've got, we pioneered producing Startup Weekends pretty early in the Startup Weekend world and uh, and doing these themed or vertical Startup Weekends has been something we've seen very effective um, and like right now, we're working on creating a, a startup weekend retail and convenience store um, where we'll partner with so kind of uh, industry experts and, and companies that have pain points in that space.
0: Yeah, no, I, I did notice that about Tulsa uh, in, in my research. Where it seems to me, just from what I can see on in the internet, that Tulsa kind of went from nothing to building momentum in the startup community pretty quickly. Now, in 2016, I saw that thumbtack journal named Tulsa the best city for women entrepreneurs to start a business. Certainly. And so I guess my question is, there's a lot of talk about, about this topic nowadays, but what tangible lessons are there for other ecosystems to take away from the, the kind of infrastructure that Tulsa has, has put into place uh, in, in this area of, of supporting women entrepreneurs?
1: Well, I, I think I, I go even broader in, in my Uh, interpretation of what's happened here. Um, If if you look at probably the the easily 10, 12 years I've been uh, trying to move the needle in this space, the most powerful thing I've gleaned in all of my efforts is the realization that there's basically two kinds of communities in the world, communities that embrace the geek and communities that don't. And the communities that do are thriving and the communities that don't are dying. And it's really that simple. And when I use the term geek, I refer to obviously technology geeks, but it really refers to anyone that doesn't fit the mold. So now you see where people of color, women, other minorities, uh, if we've created an environment, if we've created a culture where everyone is welcome, where everyone is included, suddenly we can have a very active, thriving early stage community.
0: One thing you've actually said before that um, there are there are so many organizations out there in the world that are are focused on supporting entrepreneurs versus what they should be doing, which is actually growing entrepreneurs. Uh, and so I'd be I'd be curious to to, to hear, hear you expand on that because, I mean, it's definitely something that, that I personally resonate with and something that I think is a, is a narrative shift that, that needs to happen, uh, you know, once you've built this inclusive environment at the early stage, you know, a lot of building a company from there is, you know, what, what are you doing for your fitness? What are you doing for your mental health? How are you growing personally every, every day and every week? Um, and, and so I'd be curious to hear you expand on that.
1: Well, well, certainly. I mean, I I feel strongly that we've got uh, arguably too many organizations uh, trying to support entrepreneurs. And ultimately, what I say is, if an entrepreneur is suitably empowered, nothing can stop them. And so if you look on the growing side, it's really about empowerment and putting them in situations where they realize that they can have an impact. And once that light bulb goes on, um, if, if the resources are in front of them, they will devour those resources. Um, when an organization is purely supporting entrepreneurs, they might be encountering folks that aren't suitably empowered, at which point they end up doing a lot of hand-holding. Um, and then ultimately when it comes to kind of that sink or swim moment for that entrepreneur, um, we often see things not paying out as well as we would like them to. So, so if we suitably empower an entrepreneur, uh, then then they feel like they can succeed and they often will succeed.
0: And so, Scott, before we dive into the quickfire round, uh, I would love to just kind of finish off with maybe he- hearing a little bit about where where you feel uh, over, over the next five years the, the, the Tulsa startup ecosystem is going.
1: Well, I mean the the big push we've been we've been working on an initiative to build um, what I call the the world's greatest industrial scale innovation hub, a, a project called Raw space, um, forty million dollar facility, two hundred thousand square feet, um, that would really take our strengths in kind of industrial sectors and and push them forward in very innovative and creative ways. Um, but but I, that's also a kind of a, a national agenda we're pushing, uh, because as you said early, there, there are certain parts of the country that when you when you say play to your strengths, they really need to embrace those industrial roots and thinking about them, how you play to those strengths. Um, not everybody's going to be Silicon Valley, but everybody has an opportunity to take their past and mix it with you know, technology and, and push forward in very innovative ways.
0: Awesome. So Scott, we're going to finish off with a quick fire round. Four questions up to 60 seconds each. Sound good? Great. Who is a woman entrepreneur in the Tulsa startup community that you admire the most right now and why?
1: Oh, do I have to pick just one? Just one. <laughs> um. Well, I, I think I, I would say we've got, uh, 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 boy, just one. I mean, I'm I've, I'm going to highlight. Uh, there's there's a woman that's not necessarily an entrepreneur, but she's been pushing the entrepreneur community, especially for women. Elizabeth Frame Ellison with the Lobeck Taylor Family Foundation, and uh, I, I think she's been doing great things in Tulsa along those lines. Uh, but but picking one, I don't think I want to sing, single out any one entrepreneur as being my favorite.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. So uh, let's say I'm coming to Tulsa next week. Uh, I, I love doing things outdoors. So what is the, the most fun out, single outdoor activity that you'd recommend? Well,
1: um, I feel like this might be a set of questions. Uh, so Tulsa, we're about three weeks in to the opening of a new $465 million park called The Gathering Place, which, which some people have pegged it as the greatest park in the world currently, uh, right ahead of central park. I'm, I might put it in online with Central park. I don't know if it's quite ahead of it, but it, it is a mind blowingly amazing park that uh, is going to put Tulsa on a global map in very unique ways. So, uh, that would be where I'd send you in a heartbeat.
0: So definitely not a set question. I, I did not know about that, but it's, but <laughs> that, that's an interesting fact to know. Uh, What is your favorite business book and why?
1: Oh, great question. So, the uh, you know when I think about business books, there's lots of like business how tos and and you look at you know people's kind of autobiographies and stuff like that. Um, But the book that was probably the most transformative for me is a book called Diffusion of Innovations. And Diffusion of Innovations actually is kind of a synopsis by Everett Rogers that digs into the body of research that's referred to as Diffusion of Innovations. And when you look at technologists and the challenges technologists face, there's a book called Crossing the Chasm that talks about how technology startups need to go from kind of innovator early adopter phase to early majority, late majority phase. Um, And that kind of focus on entrepreneurship. But the book, Diffusion of Innovations, kind of goes into the, the body of research that really explains why all of that's the case. And it, it's a very powerful thing to help people understand kind of why they often will, like, bang their head against the wall trying to get people to understand what they're trying to do.
0: And finally, what is your favorite thing about living in Tulsa?
1: So, I mean, my favorite thing about living in Tulsa uh, is, is the community. I mean, we've built an incredible community with kind of people that are doing it for the right reasons we've got you know technologists that are committed to you know making a difference in positive impact in people's lives Um, and it's you know it's by no means a huge community but on a proportion basis per capita basis um, we're certainly firing on all cylinders and doing some great things
0: awesome well scott thank you so much for your time really appreciate you coming on the show
1: well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Keep up the great work with this podcast. Thanks for listening. Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at Burke. that's A-N-D-B-E-R-K, to see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around
0: the world.